0: I'm Steve Lester, and Richard and I co-chair the Affinity Group for Construction. Thank you for joining us. Um, Richard is going to introduce our speaker, Missy Griffin, in a moment. But I just want to tell everybody, whether you're watching this live or you're watching us recording, that if you have ideas for our Affinity Group moving forward or some topic that you'd like to um, present to the group, um, it's very informal. Uh, You don't have to write a paper. Uh, We're just looking to share knowledge among us uh, to make us better lawyers and provide our clients with uh, up-to-date information about trends in the industry. So if you have anything concerning any issue that you have encountered from a construction standpoint or trends in the industry, uh, please email both uh, Richard and I, and we'll be sure to get you on the agenda. So with that, Richard, uh, why don't you uh, introduce
1: our esteemed guest today? Uh, Thanks, Steve. So, everyone, this is Missy Griffin. Missy.
2: Good morning. Of
1: course, everyone knows, uh, you can see her name. Uh, Missy is a fourth year associate in our San Jose office. Mm -hmm. Um, And she works on almost essentially construction cases, construction claims cases for the most part, from a million dollars to over a hundred million dollars. Missy and I work together on on, on almost exclusively most of her workload. Mm Uh, Prior to law school for about 10 years, she was in uh, real estate, real estate property management and operations for a multifamily uh, operation on the West Coast. So I had great experience uh, actually before uh, going to law school. And like Steve and myself, she's very active in the ABA forum on construction law. And in fact, uh, in October, she... um, was a moderator on a panel before 300 people, 300 plus people in the audience. So as a fourth year and ending her third year, uh, very good, uh, great, uh, great experience for her. And then finally, uh, Missy as a professor at Pepperdine Caruso School of Law, uh, teaching real estate and the law, if I have that right, or law and the real estate, real estate and the law. Yes. Yes. Uh, so a professor of law, so I do call what's, her professor. Looks so Katie. young, Rich.
0: I don't understand. <laughs> She's so young, I mean, he's you done everything. professor,
2: it, Steve, yeah, it's I, something about the firm, haven't you noticed?
1: Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, <laughs> Chris thing <laughs> is a, so anyway. I yeah, call did, her, give everybody hormone drugs for free, right? <laughs> I call her professor. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, with that, so Missy and I kind of put together this topic, excuse me, she put together this topic, but for Hunter. Um, this is, this th- as we go through this, this is not necessarily legal per se, but it's information, which I think will be helpful for your clients. And I, So she'll be glad to send you the PowerPoint. But um, So with that, Missy, let me turn it over to you.
2: Okay, perfect. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here so you can see a presentation. Um, and while I'm doing so, I just wanna let you know also that this subject is near and dear to my heart. Um, my dad went to trade school, And I come from a family of at least four generations of carpenters um, and project managers. So this was something that was fun for me to put together um, and um, will be a joy for me to share with you as well. So basically what we're going to do, and feel free to interrupt at any time if you have any stories you want to share, anything you've heard from clients, anything you've seen in the news This is a hot topic right now, uh, labor shortages in general. And maybe we're seeing that more so now because of uh, the pandemic. Um, But of course we on this call know as construction lawyers that labor shortages are nothing new. Um, We just have one kind of one more uh, piece that's been influencing it recently. So we'll, we'll go through a brief introduction. Like uh, like Richard said, this, this is not necessarily strictly legal, but it's important for us to know so that we can better assist and partner with our clients. Um, we'll talk about labor shortages in general, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And yes, I'm using the term post-pandemic um, in a very optimistic way. I'd like to think that we're post-pandemic. Um, and then some causes of labor shortages and possible solutions that you can make for clients. So introduction, basically, why do we need to know information about construction labor shortages? We're not HR, we're not employment attorneys, um, but probably as you've noticed, we are the sounding boards for our clients and a variety rather of topics, including labor shortages Um, and especially, you know, probably recently with COVID compliance and what's happening on each job. Is there, has there been an exposure? What are the rules? Um, So we've probably been more so in HR and employment law recently than in the past. We also want to be able to anticipate our clients needs. If one client is reaching out with, you know, a request about labor shortages or a question about labor shortages, it's likely that other clients will as well. And just generally, we want to be a client and under or be a partner rather to our client and understand what they're going through so that we can offer solutions and potentially even referrals to other attorneys as needed, such as this case with employment attorneys. So quick fact check for those on the line. And you could just raise your hand or even use emojis if if you uh, know how to do so. But Um, I'm wondering how many of you had clients that experienced labor shortages pre-pandemic? Okay. And if you were to throw out a percentage, would it be, you know, maybe 20% of your clients, 30%, 50%, 80%?
1: I know, Missy and I. We just had a call this morning with a client. And it was the structural steel fabricator all around, really, the United States. They own multiple, and we just had a dialogue with them. And they go, "They're they're having a hell of a time finding finding the appropriate people right now." Um, and they're talking about schedule impacts and and whatnot. So it's it's happening. I would say more. The majority of our clients are having that problem.
2: Right, and. I would imagine that post-pandemic, maybe you're hearing about it more or possibly a higher percentage of clients. Um, So as I said, you know that labor shortages are nothing new. And let's see, we have some notes here. Um, So 50% and 15% pre-pandemic, again, probably an increase since the pandemic, Um, but we know, that this is not limited to post-pandemic situation um and for days for today's conversation there's two agc articles that we're going to focus on one is a survey that was conducted pre-pandemic and one is a survey that was conducted post-pandemic so we can kind of do a little bit of a comparison to see how the construction industry was impacted by the pandemic And at the end of this presentation, I have all of the references for articles that I'm using here. Um, So if you want to read this article, which I recommend doing so, um, it is available in the presentation, which I believe will be circulated afterwards. Um, So this is August 2019, about six months before the pandemic. And this is very clearly, 80% of contractors report difficulty finding qualified craft workers to hire as firms give low marks to quality of new worker pipeline. So 80%. um, If you were hearing it from 15 to 50% of your clients, it was definitely more a widespread issue and maybe something that we didn't necessarily recognize until looking at comparisons um, like we will today. So this article in summary basically says that the construction shortage, the construction labor shortage is the greatest threat to the construction industry. Little did they know there was a pandemic right around the corner, right? Um, It also said that firms were responding to this issue by boosting pay and compensation to attract laborers and introducing specific technology basically to fill the gaps. So That includes technology such as BIM 360, some, you know, software and also artificial intelligence such as drones and things along those lines. So a variety of different technology um, to basically take the reliance off of human capital. They also provided various stats, which we'll go through. Um, Reaction to labor shortage pre-pandemic. So we're still in 2019. Um, Supplement to Technology, and let me see, I think I have more information about what this is. Um, Okay, so just general use of technology, computers, very basic technology in general. Um, That was 29% of construction firms. 25% were using cutting edge solutions. So artificial intelligence, drones, robots, 3D printers, 23% 23% were focusing on lean construction techniques, techniques basically using BIM 360 and focusing on offsite prefabrication. And at the same time that this is happening, 44% reported that they were increasing construction prices and 29% were putting longer completion times into bids because of the lack of workers. So of course you have lack of workers, it's gonna take the project longer, it's going to cost more. Okay, so now basically looking at the pre-pandemic article and statistics that are provided, the bottom line is essentially fewer workers, longer delays, more money. Now we're going to look at a post-pandemic article Another survey launched by AGC, this is September 2021, and you'll see here in the um, small print, 89% of contractors are having a hard time finding craft workers. So a 9% increase pre-pandemic, which to me was a little bit surprising. Um, The 80% generally pre-pandemic was surprising to me, but only a 9% increase um, was even more surprising.
1: Missy, was there a distinction, a regional distinction? So, for example, in the South and the West, the percentage of that was higher like this, and then maybe in the East and Midwest, and the percentages were different. Did they they break it out that way or no?
2: The second survey, the one that we're looking at now, did. um, And I don't know that it was necessarily um, based on which regions were having a harder time finding craft workers, or which have bounced back, Um, but in one way it was reflected regionally. And there's a lot of statistics that we also aren't going to discuss in this article that are really interesting too, and this one similarly is linked um, at the end of the presentation. So if you're interested in looking at these articles, or perhaps you've already seen them, um, they're pretty interesting to take a look at. So there's even more statistics that were provided in this article <clears throat> likely because COVID-19 at this point had, had occurred. Um, 75% of construction firms reported that they were experiencing delays. 57% of construction firms reported that they were experiencing delays specifically with delivery. And remember especially in early pandemic, we were having a hard time getting any materials and packages, even if it was just retail um, delivered on time due to COVID restrictions. 61% of construction firms um, said that the delays were due to labor shortages. 30% reported that it was due to lack of approvals, um, lack of inspector availability, and owner's directive to halt projects, which actually I'm surprised that that one's not higher. And then 93% were experiencing increases in material costs. It would be interesting to know what this is today because I think it's become a larger problem. And in fact, this was a legal topic that was discussed, uh, what was it, Richard, last month or the month before?
1: I want to say it was November, I think, wasn't it?
2: Oh, November? Gosh.
1: Yeah, it was November. Yeah. Okay.
2: And that was a really interesting topic as well, um, talking about um, the kind of backlog and how that's impacting construction. They also broke it down um, in terms of canceled, postponed, or scaled back projects, and how not all areas of construction were impacted equally. So 100% of building contractors reported that they had projects in this category of canceled, postponed, or scaled back. 97% construction firms that worked on federal government projects, 61% in utility infrastructure, and 56% in highway and transportation. Um, So of course, at least the, the latter two make sense. Um, you can't necessarily easily halt all construction work for utility infrastructure and highway and transportation. Those, some things have to continue. Um, and those were essential construction jobs that likely didn't have as much of an impact as others.
1: It would seem to me that the latter two categories have less materials, right? So maybe you just have concrete and steel, rebar, aggregate and those types of things versus other projects, which have many more materials and finished materials and what have you. So th- I, I would think that that would play into that difference or that dichotomy.
2: Right. Which would also mean that they were less impacted even today with material shortages. And they also broke it down by revenue. Um, so for construction firms that exceeded 500 million in revenue, this is now a bounce back from the pandemic. Um, 75% of firms have increased their headcount in the past year. And remember, this is from um, September 2021. So the, the year prior to that. For 50 to 500 million revenue, 53% of firms have increased their headcount. And lastly, the smaller firms, um, 500 million or less, 36% had increased headcount. So they are bouncing back, but not necessarily at the same rate. Okay, so we covered the two articles, AGC pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, and of course the worsened conditions due to the pandemic, that's 9%. The AGC also asked its respondents in the post-pandemic, to respond in in terms of what is causing the labor shortage. So 72% of construction firms said that it's lack of skills. And one of the main things that falls within lack of skills or inability to hire is the ability to pass a drug test. And this can be its own webinar. (laughs) Um, There's so many rules around this now. And of course, it differs on the state level. Um, But this is something that of course the construction is, in, industry rather is having a hard time with. Um 58% also reported directly related to COVID-19 that unemployment insurance is simply keeping workers away. People aren't coming back to work or are taking longer to get back to work. So interestingly, of course one of these is more directed towards COVID-19 with the unemployment insurance. But as we saw in the beginning of this presentation, five like four out of five um, construction firms were saying pre-pandemic that they were having this issue still. So obviously there's some underlying issues that the pandemic just exacerbated. So we're going to look at those as well. Um, If you were to finish this sentence, whether it's in chat or by taking yourself off mute, what would you fill in the blank with? If you don't go to college, you'll blank. What did your parents, grandparents say, or what did you say to your kids? You'll never get a job. You'll never get a job. I feel like I need, what game is it? Family feud where?
3: Going to the trades.
2: Go into the trades.
3: Brianna, go into the trades. That <laughs> is now what you said. I know, it's true.
0: <laughs> Seems yeah. to be a special basketball player.
3: <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> I like Hunter's response. You won't have so much debt. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's what we're learning now, right? Um, so this is one cultural shift that's occurred that's really impacting the trades. <laughs> Every day. Oh, um, Max. <laughs> Max is our, uh, surfer at the firm. If you don't go to college, you'll get to surf every day. So along those lines, um, I saw this meme that I could not keep out of this presentation. 1993, you'll be living in a van down by the river. And then 2022, if you save up 45 K, maybe one day you get to live in a van down by the river. Um, so that kind of shows this cultural shift where I used to hear, if you don't go to college, you'll end up on the streets or you won't have a job, you know, um, all of these types of things, and um, you're gonna end up living in your car. Well, now that's somewhat of a a luxury, right? Um, So this really has been a focus in schools that has caused the problem with uh, labor shortage, especially in construction and with trades in general, that if you don't go to college, you're gonna end up on the streets. The push for bachelor's degrees has limited the trades in general. And this is over a period of decades. This is um, not anything that happened overnight. And there's plenty of reports out there where students are saying that their high schools um, and even uh, elementary and middle schools always portrayed that there was one option out of high school, and that's to go to a four-year college so that you can get a decent career and make decent money. Well, now we're realizing that that's where you don't get as much bang for your buck out of a bachelor's degree um, that you used to. So you're ending up just racked with debt. Um, And another meme I I couldn't keep out of the presentation, um, which is obviously been politically a huge issue. But statistics, federal statistics show that 8% of undergraduates are enrolled in certificate programs that are vocationally oriented, only 8%. That's as of 2017. I don't know if it's increased or decreased since then. Um, But this cultural shift is something that occurred pre-pandemic, that has been occurring over decades and has really impacted our labor shortage in the trades. So the good thing is that states are recognizing this need, of course, it's become exacerbated now, not only with COVID-19, but with the fact that baby boomers um, in skilled trades are getting ready to retire or are retiring, and there aren't any um, skilled tradesmen to or women to fill those positions. So it's becoming a recognized problem now, and states are taking action. For example, California launched a $6 million campaign a few years ago to revive the reputation of vocational education. That includes kind of rebranding because the push and the focus was on four-year degrees for so long. And there's also some chatter um, that college debt, as we've discussed, is pushing Gen Zs back to the trades um, because they're seeing, you know, people like me and Max Um, who went to law school and have tons of debt that we're gonna be paying off happily. Um, And not necessarily everybody wants to get into that debt and live in the van by the river and surf every day. And there's another statistic, which for California is a little bit hard to swallow. Um, There's, I think it was 20 million, no, not 20 million, 20 million, but multi-million positions within the United States that require zero education um, in terms of uh, formal education, no associate's degree, no bachelor's degree, um, some some type of trade school that begin at um, $55,000 a year. And again, for California, that's a little bit tough to swallow just because the cost of living in California and I'm sure some other areas within the United States, but if you're going into that without having to pay, you know, $2,000 or more for, uh, you know, college payments on a monthly basis, then in many areas in the United States, that is a good living. Um, and those positions are currently open.
1: There's a, there's a colleague of ours, a former partner who went in-house general counsel at a, a general contractor, and they just focus on California. And I think their revenue is about $700 million. And he had told me before that he said i can I can hire kids out of high school and I'll train them, and their starting salary to Missy's point was around fifty five, sixty thousand. And he goes within two or three years, he goes they could be pushing hundred thousand dollars a year. Sure, and if they want to go up they can go well above hundred thousand dollars so the the work is there, and and I don't and you'll get into Missy at the end of like what some of these general contractor entities are doing
2: right, exactly. And this kind of just goes to show why Gen Zs and other younger generations would be, um, will, would be more inclined to go into trades. Um, the number of hours required to work to pay for in-state tuition. This is in-state tuition. Basically, the least expensive tuition that you can get. Um, and you'll see. So this, this is the number of hours and over decades how much it has increased. So it's just not a possibility for many students. Okay, so possible solutions. These are the main five solutions that we're going to talk about for clients. Um, It may be that one or two um, will work better for a particular client than another, but they're all really great options depending on um, where your client is located and what kind of issues they're facing in terms of the labor shortage. So first, collaboration within their local community is very important. I mean, I remember when I was younger and in school, we would have parents come in and talk about what their career was and what they did. And a lot of, I mean, I had my dad come in and talk about construction work and what that meant. And I went to work with my dad, um, you know, bring your daughter or son to work day. We participated in all of that. And I haven't heard of those types of programs occurring often anymore. Um, I'm not sure if any of you have heard of them, but I think- you know, because everybody's so worried about liability um, and maybe even loss of productivity that those kind of things have kind of fallen to the wayside, unfortunately. But highlighting those trades and what people do when students are younger is really important. So pairing with high schools, um, charter schools, which are focusing on um, STEM courses. So science, technology, engineer, mathematics, Um, Oftentimes, those are free programs for students that want to focus on STEM within their community. Um, Career academies. Um, There's also the ACT Mentor Program of America, Architecture, Construction, and Engineering um, that clients can pair with. And of course, community colleges um, that offer vocational programs as well. And Hunter is saying here that Um, his firm sponsors a nonprofit that builds a house a year with high school students. So exactly, such an impactful um, program for high school students to be involved in and see exactly, you know, what it takes to build a house. The second is internships. Um, So this is one area where Of course, most of the focus is on summer internships because you have students, of course, working on site. That's the best time for an internship. Um, But it's one area where if you're not very familiar with employment law, you would want to refer your client to an employment lawyer because there are specific considerations in terms of Fair Labor Standards Act and OSHA um, that you would want to make sure that there's just certain um, programs and checks in place before just hiring students and having them on a construction site, of course, around heavy machinery and, you know, all of these dangers that um, tradespeople are, you know, trained to be around on a regular basis and students are not. Um, But again, internships are another fantastic way to allow students to see exactly what's happening in a particular trade or on a construction project. Apprenticeships as well. So there are federal and state level apprenticeships available. Um, This quote really stood out to me. Economic return on investment has shown that employers gain a return for craft training of as much as $3 to every $1 that is invested, accounted for by improved safety, elimination of rework and increased productivity of the craft worker. Um, and apprenticeships are also pretty unique because some offer college credit that can um, kind of uh, carry over for an associate's degree or a four-year degree. So for someone who's not necessarily sure what they want to do um, for their career, rather than going into you know, directly into a four-year degree and incurring all of that debt, an apprenticeship is a great opportunity to see what something is about, to see what a specific trade is about and not necessarily lose the opportunity to earn college credit. Okay, so legal agreements. This is one way that you can limit loss of human capital or that a client can limit loss of human capital. Um, and of course, non-compete agreements, basically stating you can't compete with with your employer after a certain amount of time after leaving. Non-solicitation, you cannot solicit customers, clients, contact lists um, for personal gain within a certain time of leaving the company. And non-disclosures, of course, um, create a confidential relationship between the employer and the employee regarding things like Suppliers or investors and things along those lines. So it's just a way that um, that construction firms have been protecting their human capital, maybe making it less easy to transition from one place to the other. And I know um, from speaking with my dad when he was on—he's retired now—but um, when he was on JV projects in particular, this was a big issue. Um, after every JV project, whether successful or not it seemed there were always people kind of flipping sides, right? Going from um, Kiewit to McCarthy and vice versa because of of a particular project. Um, So particularly hard in that instance. Um, But with these legal agreements, of course, another opportunity to reach out to an employment attorney because there are very specific limitations within jurisdictions that can make Um, these agreements unenforceable, Um, certain things or factors are, of course, reasonableness within the jurisdiction. That can be in terms of distance or time. Um, The timing in which the agreement was signed is important. Um, Was it tied to a promotion? Uh, Things along those lines. Whether the agreement is overly broad and therefore unfair to the employee and choice of law provisions that could be construed as unfair towards the employee as well. So a great opportunity to pair with an employment attorney if you don't already have a, a great um, referral um, and to make sure that these agreements are completed correctly, if it's not an area of law you're comfortable with.
1: it's Also a great way to cross um, market within your own firm, Other your other colleagues, of course. Yes.
2: Exactly. If you, if you have an employment attorney on staff, absolutely. Um, and there were additional um, statistics in the AGC article, the post-pandemic article, that were interesting in terms of these types of um, stats for construction firms and what they're doing. So 37% of firms reported engaging in career building programs. 57% were adopting new technology. were seeking social media strategies, namely Instagram to connect with younger applicants. Um, And 25% had partnered with a government workforce developer or unemployment agency, which of course that would be helpful at any time, but I imagine, especially post-pandemic, pairing with an unemployment agency would be particularly helpful. So construction firms are making their way towards these types of solutions, but um, maybe not necessarily at the rate that you would think. Lastly, focusing on retaining. Now, of course, in order to um, retain someone, you have to attract them in the first place. But this is a huge component of attracting employees that we sometimes don't focus on as employers. Um, and particularly in the construction industry. So training reimbursement agreements. um, This could be for college-level courses or any particular uh, trade or specific skill um, where you're reimbursing your employee in order to gain additional training. Um, I think just having um, the independence for employees to choose this type of training and have an option of being reimbursed is um, key to um, helping retain that particular employee. Workplace development and certification opportunities, basically like training reimbursement, but in-house programs that focus on this. Um, I worked in property management before and we did this with our maintenance staff. We would have um, pro, like people from Home Depot or different technicians come and show how to repair um, specific brands of washers or dryers or install um, specific materials, um, uh, hazmat materials, how to handle things along those lines, we would do it all um, basically in-house. Offering a per diem for travel and having that per diem policy, of course, in your handbook. Company vehicles, and I, I would imagine, especially right now, gas allowance, any type of gas allowance. I mean, gas is, I, we, we can't even begin to talk about how the high the price of gases right now, but, um, having some type of supplement for that, because oftentimes, especially in construction, um, people are driving, you know, one, two hours to get to a particular construction site, right? They're not always moving necessarily next to the site. Um, reasonable to, this should not be general. This should be generous, (laughs) reasonable to generous sick and vacation time. Um, and then, of course, it's really important that the company have a, um, a reputation for being a safe place to work and a welcoming place to work. Um, so harassment and discrimination-free workplace um, and program in place. Lastly, one thing that I didn't include here but is really important as well is having incentive uh, incentives for referrals. So if your employee refers somebody and they're successfully hired and retained for six months, they get, you know, maybe a thousand dollar referral bonus or something along those lines. Um, Of course, companies do this all the time. It's not necessarily limited to the construction industry, um, but something that can definitely help uh, retain people and give, you know, additional incentives.
1: Missy, in any of the literature that you've been reading, is diversity and inclusion... Um, a, a part of that, I guess, goal, and, and how has that impacted either pro or con and trying to attract talent and keep talent? And may, maybe they didn't mention it. I, it I don't is. Know.
2: It's actually particularly hot topic now, not necessarily just because of everything that's been happening um, in the world over the past, what, probably five years, but um, uh, most companies are launching diversity and inclusion um, committees at the very least now and changing their hiring practices. And you may have seen if you're involved in social media, um, you know, on LinkedIn or Instagram that the first week of March was women in construction, um, week. So an entire week dedicated to women who work in the construction industry. And I think if you, you know, think back five, 10 years ago, would you have seen that, Celebrated on social media? Probably not. And it's kind of steps like that that have been taken. And you'll see, you know, tons of construction companies, you know, happy Women in Construction Week and things like that. So these are things that are celebrated um, and should be. And it's nice that, you know, these, you can see that these harassment and discrimination free workplace programs have been making um, a difference. And to that end, I read during last week, last week, during the first week of March, um, that there's only, I think it's eight percent of people in construction are women. So there's a lot of room for growth there. Um, and I think that it's important that, um, our clients focus on things like that as well. So as I stated, these are the the references that I used for um, kind of researching this topic, the AGC articles um, and the stats. Are there any questions or comments?
0: Misty, one thing that um, wasn't mentioned on the incentives would be to have like executives being able to work from home. Um, as part of the flexible aspect and those people that don't necessarily need to be on the ground that maybe do, uh, you know, modern of these construction jobs or whatever, um, schedulers, that kind of thing.
2: Right. A fl- flexible work schedule to the extent that it's possible. Yeah. Yes, definitely. That's a good one.
1: The other, the other aspect, and, and again, this goes to the call that you and I had this morning, Missy, is there's also a union component. So, if you're in a state that it's a free to work state, you have probably more flexibility. If you're in a state or an area that is, or in an industry that's strictly union, and this had been a structural steel fabricator, and they're heavy union, and they always have to go to the union hall. So, a lot of their flexibilities are. Slightly more shackled, if you will, but they have more the apprentice, right. the apprentice program, and so and so on and so forth. So they do have some of those those issues that are different than uh, a non union company.
2: Right, that's a good point,
3: Missy. Do you see any of these any of these shortages, the labor shortages and the material shortages? Do you see any what the future might look like in the next couple of years as to how that's going to move forward? Do you think that there'll be reprieve or do you think it's going to get worse
2: or? Based on everything I'm seeing, it seems like there will be some reprieve. Um, if if states are implementing programs that are actually successful in, you know, promoting um, vocational schools and trade schools, um, especially focusing on the fact that you're not going to leave trade school um, with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, um, I think I think that there is a possibility it will get better. Absolutely. We also have to remember it's construction. The construction industry is not the only industry experiencing the, these right. issues. Yeah. Especially, you know, maybe other industries more so because of COVID. But um, if you think about retail, hospitality, um, restaurants, you um, there's a lot of other industries that have been impacted. Certainly as a consumer of this,
3: and I'm it, this is on the um, you know personal side, I'm building a house. It's taken almost a year and a half to build our house. And I keep hearing from my builders that, well, they can't get people. They call mm-hmm. them. They don't return the calls. They can't get the materials. It's costing them. We signed our contract. So now it's their problem if it costs more. But right. I'm hearing all the excuses that you're talking about from my builders who t- are telling me that. And it could take up to almost two years to get our house built. And that's right. in
2: Michigan, right? And that's in Michigan, yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think especially even some of the statistics speak to this for smaller firms or smaller general yeah. contractors, it's going to take a little bit longer to bounce back because they're not necessarily the firms in the best position to launch um, corporate programs um, or have the resources to launch cor- corporate programs like other you know, larger construction firms would.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And they can't pay what the larger construction people can pay either. So you're getting the people that have absolutely no skill that you're trying to train. So they can only do a limited amount of the types of work that it calls for, because they don't have the skills to do it until they're there for a while. Then when they're there for a while, they decide, no, it's not for me. And then they leave. Right,
2: right. Well, thank you so much um, for spending the morning or afternoon Um, If you have any questions, feel free to email me and um, I'll, I'll make sure that I send you the PowerPoint so that that can be circulated.